December and January, so you can check the What's Happening page for more information about dates and times and sign up. Our scripture reading for today is going to be in Galatians chapter 3, verses 23, to Galatians chapter 4, verse 7. Uh, so I'd invite you to open up your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we have some at the ends of the pews that you are uh, welcome to use. And if you don't own a Bible, you can go ahead and take that home as a gift uh, from us. So it's Galatians chapter 3, verse 23, through chapter 4, verse 7. Now before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then, the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Hey, before we jump in, uh, a bit of an announcement about kids' ministry. Uh, you know, we call our uh, kids' ministry family ministry around here because we're really intentional about discipling our kids together, one as a church family, but also empowering uh, parents to pastor and disciple uh, and train their kids up in the Lord. Uh, so we've been very intentional about that. We've had our kids in worship uh, with us, uh, almost uh, all ages, and uh, we're going to do a little bit of a shift uh, in some of that. Uh, so uh, we're going to uh, do pre-K crawlers and walkers now. This is, I know it's a bit of an announcement at the beginning of the sermon, but uh, pre-K crawlers and walkers, those age groups, uh, we're going to say you can, you don't have to, but you can check in those kids right at 9.50 or 9.45 whenever you get here, if it's 9.45 or 9.50, whenever you get here, either 9.45 or 9.50, whenever you get here, either 9.45 or 9.50, and check in those kids, uh, crawlers, walkers, and pre-K. Uh, here's what we think, uh, how that's going to help. Uh, when those kids are going to get just age-appropriate care, uh, 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 parents and volunteers holding them, singing hymns over them, praying over them, uh, caring for them at those little ages from kind of just the jump when you drop them off at 9.45 or 9.50. Uh, and then also that's going to create a little more space in here right off the bat uh, for us uh, to worship. And then it also means you won't have to walk the littlest of littles down and then back up. Now, if you want, you can keep uh, kids in that age group with you at the beginning of worship and still walk them down uh, when we dismiss right before the sermon if you would like. Uh, so that's a change we'll be making uh, next week. Uh, we think that's going to really help uh, us to... Uh, grow in our own faith as adults as we worship God and also uh, prepare our kids uh, effectively in faith while still keeping all elementary kids in here 
uh, for worship uh, up until the point of the sermon when they then go get age-appropriate teaching themselves as well. All right? All right, I would like us to uh, pray before we jump in to this sermon. Uh, There's a lot going on in the Middle East, and I want us to pray around these things. I've talked with two Palestinian pastors this past week and interacted with them, and also uh, two uh, Jewish pastors, a guy for uh, working with Jews for Jesus and others in the area. And what what they have all uh, relayed, well, two things. One, just how complicated uh, the situation is there, how it, it is escalating, and also... Uh, just what they, uh, the second thing they have uh, reiterated is pray for the church. Uh, pray for the people of God. Uh, in Gaza Strip, in Israel, uh, up north, uh, all over that area, just pray for the people of God. Uh, as as m- many are, are dying, um, losing uh, children, and uh, many are just saying, oh Lord, how, how do we serve you faithfully in this moment and also in this grief? So, um, uh, let's stay uh, seated, but let's, let's uh, kind of assume that, that position we've had just of uh, faith, which is, which is just reception and trust uh, in our God. And let's, let's come before Him now and offer up our prayers uh, for peace in that area, for uh, the church of Christ to shine brightly, for those who are mourning to be comforted, for justice to prevail, for for many even to come to know, love, and worship the Savior, even in a moment like this, uh, through His church, which is uh, vibrant in that area. Uh, let's come before our God in prayer. Uh, let's, uh, let's all pray out loud, all at once, talking to our God, and, and then I'll close this in a second. Father, we pray for peace right now. Uh, We've seen the images, God, of uh, babies and children being held. um, And we've seen, um, well, we we don't really know or understand every aspect of everything, but what we know is you are still king. And we pray that you would bring peace and restoration and hope and justice and your righteousness over that area of the world. Um, In your church there, God, we pray for the pastors um, uh, serving in Israel, serving in Gaza Strip, serving up north. God, would would you give them and the church wisdom and courage and faith Would your church flourish even in moments like this? Uh, It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, As we get into our text this morning, uh, really there's a 
two major places where um, Israel and the people of God uh, in an, an umbrella kind of way and us as the church, as the people of God now, are talked about. One is in Romans 9 uh, through 11, and the other is in uh, Galatians chapters 3 and 4, where we've been. And so we're going to take a little bit of a deeper dive there, an excursus on um, just uh, some of our family tree as believers in, in, in the scriptures and, and what that all looks like and how that impacts us. As, as we look at this uh, term, this doctrine, which is often overlooked, which is the doctrine of adoption. Uh, you know, we, we sometimes think uh, often of justification, right? Uh, d- the declaration of righteousness, and Paul talks a lot about that. And, uh, but then he, he moves into this doctrine of adoption, particularly in chapters, the end of 3 and 4, and how we are sons and daughters of God. And I want us to think on that uh, doctrine, uh, both that we might understand it, but that we might also feel it. And I'll give us some time at the end of the service that we might feel this truth deeply. Uh, so let's get in. We'll, we'll uh, get a little more into the weeds uh, than normal of different ideas in Galatians and all through the Scriptures. And, and in order to kind of uh, to get a full understanding first of what does adoption mean, that we might then feel the depth of being adopted as God's sons and daughters. So uh, let's get into understanding uh, what does adoption mean. Uh, First, in order to understand uh, adoption, in this passage we read from chapters uh, 3.23 down to 4.7, we have to understand the context. Uh, So let me remind us of the context. Uh, We've been in the book of Galatians, and uh, the churches in Galatia are, are really wrestling with this idea of, you know, we've come to Christ, we've believed in Jesus, we're justified by faith, right, uh, by grace. That, that what God has done for us is a, a free act of grace. He's, he's declared us righteous. But then what's happening is they're stacking on extra work. It's saying you have to be uh, circumcised or you have to obey uh, the calendar in these ways or have these kinds of feasts or wear these sorts of markers. You have to add this on as an effort to what you've already received by grace now to improve and grow as a believer in Christ. And so there's this one system uh, versus another system which we've been looking at in the book of Galatians. The, the system of law and legalism versus uh, grace and gospel. Law and legalism, this idea of uh, do we work our way to be pleasing to God and to be pleasing to others, or is it received by grace through faith? And we've talked about how lots of folks, when they think of Christianity, they think it's a legalistic system. Well, when you're a Christian, you go to church. You keep the Ten Commandments. You're a loving person, right? You do these things. That's what makes you a Christian. Uh, You have to, in a sense, climb your way up to God. You have to be better, try harder, at least try your best to get to church, to be in a small group, to to be a kind person, to love others. Or you have to uh, stack on a certain amount of good works in order to be pleasing to God and pleasing to others, to, to make up for our bad works. Or sometimes we cloak that legalism in kind of Christian language. And just, uh, we, we say, oh, I'm forgiven by grace. I'm forgiven by who Jesus is. Now the rest of my life, all I do is I, I ask myself, what would Jesus do? And I try to do it. I try to be better. I try to be good. I try to be who he wants me to be. The legalistic system. And, and often, kind of in summary, as we've seen in context, uh, this is this idea that uh, Jesus plus something equals life. 
Jesus and who He is and what He's done for us, plus something we do or add in a moral sort of way, makes us good and pleasing, will lead to life with God and life with others. Or Jesus and who He is and what He's done, plus something I get or have in my life. Uh, great kids. If I could just get great kids, then I'd have life. Jesus plus anything is a legalistic lens. And what Paul is doing is he's saying, kind of, as we head into the context of chapter 3 and 4, he's saying, you know, there's this uh, legalistic system versus a grace and gospel system. Uh, which do you find yourself in? And then last week we looked at, well, uh, we are to live the righteous, live by faith. Simply faith, simply reception from beginning to end as, as Christians. It's. By, by grace through faith that we're saved and by grace through faith we are sanctified or made like Jesus. So over and over from start to finish we say, man, I'm not worthy of being your son or daughter. I have fallen so short and we receive his righteousness as our own, receive his penalty as our own. And then when we find ourselves failing or we find ourselves wanting to be more obedient or we find ourselves longing to live for Him, what we keep remembering by grace through faith is, man, I've got a great Savior. I trust in Him. I love Him. I want to live for Him. We keep remembering by grace through faith. Oh, wow, what an amazing gospel. I'm His son. I'm His daughter. Nothing changes that. We keep remembering our identity and we keep clinging to what is true. And that will transform our lives as we head into glory. From beginning to end. That's what we looked at last week. And so, you know, Paul is up to this point. He's kind of uh, proven his point so well that, that it's all by grace, right? That the natural question would be, well, what the heck about the law then? <laughs> Why the law? And, and he captures that right before the passage that we're going to head into this morning. Verse 19, why then the law of chapter 3? And Paul's going to summarize, you know, since it's all by grace through faith, then why the law? Well, the law was put into place in this epic of time before Jesus in, in order to prepare our hearts and our minds that we might uh, cling to the Savior that is to come. Uh, Paul's going to use this language all through uh, this passage. Of that it's a tutor or a guardian. And I'll listen to kind of his summary statement about the law in chapter 3, verse 24. So then, the law is our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. The law is our tutor or our guardian. The law kind of restrains sin while we wait for the Savior to come. We, we kind of know how to live this way or that way. But the, the law also highlights our sin that we would say, wow, I need a Savior. So uh, let's summarize it this way, uh, this passage leading into the passage about adoption, that we might understand our adoption as sons or daughters. The law. The law exists that we might see God clearly. We might say, Wow. What a holy God. I can't live up to His holiness. That's the second piece of what the law does then. That we might see myself clearly. We would say, whoa, man, I am held to this standard of perfection and I'm crushed by it. I realize the things I think don't line up with who my holy God is. I realize the things I do don't line up with who my holy God is. I realize my motives don't line up with who my holy God is. 
I realize I don't even love him, the, the core of the law, like I ought to. I'm not compelled by love. If anything, I want to keep his laws that uh, he might uh, become my slave. He might owe me. I might stack up my righteousness before him. I have to repent even of my good deeds before my holy God. So we see God clearly in the law. We see ourselves clearly in the law. And then lastly, the, the, the tutor or the guardian of the law leads us that we might see Christ clearly. That we might say, in, in, in view of God's holiness, in view of my sinfulness, what I see is I need a Savior. I need a Savior. Why all this context? Why all these details? Because I think some of us are sons living like slaves. I think some of us are, are daughters covered in guilt and shame. I think many of us are sons and daughters today of the King, of, of our Father, but, but really it's our, our past family script that's writing the narrative that's going in our minds saying, you're not good enough, you're not pleasing to God, you're not pleasing to others. Or just keep trying harder than you will be. Or your God, He's abandoned you like your father had. Or your God, He shames you or coddles you like your mother did. You're not good enough. See, I think some of us are sons and daughters, sons living like slaves, daughters covered in guilt, sons and daughters informed by a script of our family past. I think some of us are sons and daughters who are just dry. No joy in our relationship with our Father. Thinking it's do, try, work, more. Or some of us are, are so, so judgmental and joyless because we think, oh, I have done, I am good enough. I have earned my righteousness. Some of us are sitting before our Father in a quest and, and looking at Him thinking, why don't you give this good gift? You must not be good. And in our lack, we're questioning who our God is, who our Father is. Living a Jesus plus life, I, don't, I need more than Christ for my satisfaction, my deepest joy. Understanding the doctrine of adoption. Uh, the passage that we'll kind of hone in here then in the context is chapter 4, verses 1 to 7. It's, it's basically a repeat of chapter 3, verses 23 to 29. So Paul begins, and let's continue in our understanding of what is true of us positionally as sons and daughters of God. What I mean is that an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Now he's talking about a, a child when they're growing up. That child, that son or daughter, is an heir to everything the father has. But when they're young, they're no different than a slave. Why? Because uh, though they're the owner of everything, end of verse 1 in chapter 4... He is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. Now, uh, back in the history, about uh, age 25 is when uh, the son can take on the full inheritance of the father. And so until kind of this moment when everything becomes the sons, the, the firstborn, the, they, they in a sense live as a slave under the guardian of all the rules of the household without having everything that they uh, will have when they're an heir. 
Verse 3, in the same way, we also, when we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. And Paul's kind of speaking in uh, an epic and in our reality that uh, before Christ, we found ourselves under this guardian, this law, this tutor that would point us to the one we would place our faith in, our Savior to come. Right in time, we think, in that kind of epic. But also in position, when we, when we were trying to earn our way to God through doing good by the law, we found ourselves living as slaves under the elementary principles of the world. He'll say later in chapter uh, 4, he'll say, don't go back to that kind of way, living by the elementary principles of the the world uh, as though you're uh, a slave rather than an heir and a son both in epic and in stature he says don't live that way everything has changed verse 4 when the fullness of time had come when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son to redeem born of a woman born under the law those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Uh, here's what occurs. God looks at us, uh, those who are to be His sons and daughters, and sends His Son, who takes on flesh, the incarnation. Uh, apples for apples trade is about to occur. A one for one, right? And Jesus, uh, the one who is incarnate, uh, takes on full flesh, fully God, fully man, lives a perfect life under the law, absolutely righteous, absolutely perfect, never condemned by the law. He sees his father clearly and he sees his own life clearly and in every step he's fully righteous under the law. And he lives a perfect life all the way to the cross. Where on the cross, the Father says, go to the cross, and, and the Son even obeys in that moment. Perfect, through and through. Just like us, fully human. Just like God, fully God. Perfect. A one-for-one one trade. And He hangs on the cross... Is a sacrifice for your sin, for my sin, as those who have broken the law. As those who, who, are, who, who see God clearly in His holiness and, and then see ourselves clearly and say, wow, we need a Savior. And He is that Savior. And He hangs on that cross so that His righteousness, the, the way He walked in absolute purity and perfection all the way to the cross, and His sacrifice, uh, the payment for our sin, uh, can be received by us uh, just simply by faith. But simply by saying, I receive what you, Jesus, have done in your perfect life and in your sacrificial death. I receive it. And then what occurs? We are redeemed. We're bought back. We're no longer slaves. We're no longer condemned. We're, we're bought out of slavery to sin and death. We're, we're made uh, sons and daughters adopted. Adopted. He resurrects and we walk with Him as His son, as His daughters. God sends His Son to redeem us and make us sons and daughters. Uh, we're grafted into the family tree. We're grafted into the family tree. 
I want to go back, uh, and this is where, again, it's going to get a little more kind of details in the weeds that we might understand what has occurred and make sense of the scriptures as a whole story. So here's what happens. We've got Abraham. It keeps being brought up. And then we see phrases like, we're going to be the sons of Abraham. We're going to be blessed along with Abraham. We're going to be sons of God. We're going to be blessed as the one who has faith along with Abraham. Like What we see is this, this story of these promises made to Abraham that then are applied to us in Christ. Now let's go back to chapter 3, verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And know that it is the gospel, the, the good news that is preached beforehand to Abraham. This is back in Genesis chapter 12 saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Uh, This goes on down into verse 14 of chapter 3. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And then uh, Paul's going to make this uh, jump into who is the promise to? The promise is to uh, Jesus, the one to come who's going to fulfill all the promises made to Abraham uh, down in verse 16 of chapter 3. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, to your offspring, who is Christ. Uh, he is the offspring that, that these promises are made to. So, so uh, then, then we see, as uh, this goes on, uh, verse 25 and 26, or 24, 25, 26. Let me read there in chapter 3. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came, in order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian, for in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you are baptized into Christ, have put on Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free, there's male nor female, all are one in Christ. If you are in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Uh, Later at the end of uh, Galatians chapter 6, we, the church, those of faith who have placed their faith in Christ are called the Israel of God. Uh, So let's talk about this for a second. Uh, Back in, uh, and I know, this is, we're getting into the weeds here that we might understand the story of the scriptures and say, uh, who are we as God's sons and daughters? That we might understand our adoption. Back in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 15, and Genesis chapter 17, and then repeated all throughout the Old Testament, here's what occurs. God comes to Abraham, and he says, I I make a promise, a covenant to you, that you'll have a land, that you'll have a seed, and you'll be blessed to be a blessing. That, That you'll have a land where you'll dwell eternally with me, your God. That you'll have a seed, an offspring, a family that'll, that'll last eternally. And it's going to be so numerous, more than the stars in the sky, more than the sand in the sea. And it's going to be amazing how the gospel, the good news of this promise goes out. And you're going to be blessed like crazy that you can be a blessing to others. So that promise is repeated over and over again. Then Jesus shows up on the scene. 
And what we realize is this isn't about one nation of people. This is about a cosmic problem that God is solving, that we are his enemies, and we are enemies even with one another that need reconciliation to him, that that need his blessing, need relationship with him. And Jesus comes onto the scene and says, I'm coming that you would have an eternal place to dwell, a new heavens and a new earth. I'm coming, Jesus says, that you would have family from all nations, all tribes, all tongues. Uh, your, your, your seed of the family of God would grow and grow among all ethnicities, all classes, all people, all politics. And you would be blessed in such an amazing way, the blessing could overflow through you into the lives of others. And then he says, after he resurrects, and I'm going to come back and make it so. So here's how we need to think about this overarching. There's a people of God throughout the whole Old and New Testament. Uh, In the Old Testament, uh, God is primarily working through Abraham, who he makes his promise, Isaac and Jacob, right? Jacob ends up being Israel, gives birth to the 12 tribes, right? He's working through Israel in the Old Testament. Now, through the Old Testament, we see the covenants come about, the, the promises being made that are then fulfilled in Christ, And then we, as uh, Abraham's offspring, sons and daughters of God, sons and daughters of the the man of faith who received by faith what God promised him, uh, we place our faith in Christ and we're made sons and daughters of God. Sons and daughters of God, brothers with Christ, family together. No Gentile or Jew, slave or free, man or woman, one in Christ. And so in an overarching way, we see uh, the people of God primarily through uh, Israel in the Old Testament, now in the church uh, today. Now, now this has always been a mixed crowd. Uh, even uh, Paul, when he looks back at Israel in the Old Testament, he'll say, uh, not all Israel is Israel. Like There's, there's those of faith, and there's, uh, even Gentiles come in, can come into true Israel. That's anyone who by faith would cling to the promises God made and cling to the, the Savior who is to come. A mixed crowd back here. So it is with the church. Not everyone here today is a true church. Not everyone is clinging to Christ, crying out, Abba, Father, to God by grace. Uh, back here in the Old Testament, uh, Israel primarily uh, works as a theocracy, right? And, and then here in the New Testament, the, the people of God, the church, is nothing like a theocracy. Actually, what we see when we uh, blend our politics and Christian nationalism, it gets ugly. It's a people of God fighting with the weapons of love and service and self-sacrifice. The people of God, now us adopted in. If you've uh, been close with someone who's been adopted, by God's grace, uh, we've gotten to be just friends with many families who've gone through the process of adoption. There's, a, there's this one moment called the gavel ceremony. Uh, it depends on uh, what family you're talking to and how they describe it, but uh, uh, one of our uh, family's uh, friends called this their gavel ceremony. And, and I've got a picture from uh, one of our families uh, had done an adoption uh, this past year. And, and this is that ceremony, right? When the gavel comes down and the judge says, this is now your son. And the family particular at that moment is just overjoyed. Often, depending on the age of the kid, they just don't get it. <laughs> they don't quite know what's going on. But then the rest of their lives, 
they're going to grow into the reality, the enjoyment of being a son or daughter in that family fully. It's positionally true, but then over time it sinks in. I can't believe I'm a son or I'm a daughter of God. I can't believe it. Let's talk about feeling this then emotionally. Uh, Here's what occurs next in the text. God has done this, uh, in a sense, to us and for us. He sent His Son that He might redeem us and adopt us as sons. Verse 6, And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Uh, the, the verse is packed with emotion. The Holy Spirit comes into us and takes what we know is true. As He opens our eyes, we're, we're brought to life. We realize I'm a, I'm a son, I'm a daughter of, of the one true King. He's my Father because of who Christ is and what He's done. And, and then notice the words crying out, uh, uh, full of emotion and passion, crying out to God, our Father. What do we cry out? Abba. In Aramaic, uh, uh, transliterating in Greek, Abba, uh, it it can kind of go anywhere from dad to daddy, depending on the context and use. It's this idea of just uh, close family, endearment, embrace. Uh, Only the son and only the daughter can talk to dad that way. Crying out, crying out when, man, things are rough. Or crying out when, wow, they're wonderful. They're crying out when they're just normal. And dad is still there. Talking to him. Clinging to him. As a son. As a son. You are no longer a slave, but a son. And if you're a son, then you're an heir. But what do our kids need to know? They need to know they're loved and they're safe. We need to know as God's children, we are loved and we are safe. And and God says here, uh, the Holy Spirit gets into our mind, opens our eyes, that He might uh, take what we know is true and sink it deep into our hearts. That we might know, that we might cry out, I'm your son. I'm loved as, as you love your own son, so you love me. I'm not just forgiven, I'm embraced as your son. You didn't just forgive me, you want me. The Holy Spirit gets into our minds, sinks into our hearts what is true. Not just we're loved and and our identity as sons and daughters, but that we're heirs that we're provided for, we're safe. Today and forever. Uh, You know the language here is that of a son, a firstborn son. Uh, the, the inheritance would travel through the firstborn son. And, and that's what Paul is after here. That, that everything that is his is now ours. And he's after this idea of adoption. When, when a slave is brought into a family, uh, sometimes uh, the, the father would say, I'm actually going to bring you in not as a slave, but as a son. And he would, he would pay anything that is due for that slave uh, to another owner that that person might become a son in the family. An heir to all the inheritance. 
completely safe now and forever into all of eternity. I was sitting with a, a dad who had adopted three kids. Um, he was telling me some of this story just a couple days ago. It's an amazing thing how each of them are wrestling in different ways with their adoption. They, man, they, they, it's an amazing family. They're just knit together in, in great ways. And, uh, but he, he just shared, man, uh, all of them have just wrestled with their sonship or their daughtership in different ways and different times. Even questioning, he said. Sometimes questioning. I'll never forget it. It was a midnight uh, Man, 10 years ago, <laughs> I got this call from one of my closest friends, and he doesn't call it midnight. Well, not many people call it midnight, and he woke me up, and so I pick it up, and he goes, Matt, I, I just need some advice on this, right? We've grown up for many years since we were wee little lads together, and um, for some reason, he still wanted my advice, so I don't know. <laughs> and he calls, and he says, man, you know, you know, we've been thinking some about adoption, and we were kind of just thinking about it, right? And and then we got this call from a mutual friend of ours as a nurse at a hospital nearby. And she goes, there's a mom here, and she's going to give her son up for adoption. Uh, would you guys want to adopt him? And so he's like, man, we were just kind of thinking about it, right? And, and now it just became real, right? And so uh, we talk it through, we pray, and, and I didn't know what he was going to do. Then the next day, he, uh, he calls back later that afternoon, and he says, we went through with it. Like, so right from the, like, right from birth... This little guy who's grown up into a little man right now, it was, uh, it was his from the jump, right? It's like, and it was like, wow! And so we know each other really well, and so he's sharing this one time. He goes, you know, sometimes my little guy, he'll still say things like, yeah, but you're not my real dad. Yeah, but you're not my real mom. And he said it, it just brings him to this point of tears sometimes. And, uh, and he knows it to be true, right, his son. But it's still just sinking in. I want to ask, do you, do, do you know it to be true? In a way that it's not just up here. Uh, yeah, I'm God's son. I'm God's son. Yeah, I'm God's daughter. But do you know it to be true? Does that emotion sometimes well up and you say, Abba, Father, I am so glad that you are my Father. And the spirit that is within you cries out in emotion. You say, I am so glad you're my Father by the work of your Son. I cannot believe you love me that much. Or, or when you're suffering, do you ever cry out, Oh God, would you carry me in this moment? I'm so glad you are my Father. Would you carry me now as your son or as your daughter? parallel passage is in Romans chapter 8 verses 15 and 16 listen to how Paul talks about this idea there Romans chapter 8 verse 15 for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you received the spirit of adoption and as sons by whom we cry Abba Father the Spirit Himself bears witness to our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs and heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. 
Children, sons and daughters, loved so deeply by our God. Children, sons and daughters, therefore heirs of all that Jesus has purchased for us from now into all of eternity. It is yours. The land is yours. There is an eternal dwelling in which you'll be with God forever in a new heavens and a new earth when He brings it here and makes all things new. We live as family today and forever we'll praise Him as His family together into all of eternity with our Father. And oh, He has blessed us so much. You are never alone. You're never alone. The power to overcome sin, to transform your life is, is given to us by God our Father. All that we are as sons and daughters, we are as heirs because of who Jesus is and what He's done for us. Uh, you live in D.C., so you might be saying, well, I'm not an emotional person. <laughs> well, you're a liar, first of all. Your emotions are just deep. They're quieter. They're still shaping you. Uh, Edwards would talk about, Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite theologians, how uh, this idea of light and heat, what is light is true, the truths of the gospel. We know of our God in our, in our mind, but then there's this heat, this affection in our, our souls that, that when, when what is true becomes even uh, truer to us and we understand it even more in our minds, and our, then our heat wells up even more in our hearts for our God. And when the two collide, when our emotions, what we, what we feel in our hearts and what we know is true, and it's too much of our dichotomy, but in our minds comes together, that's when decisions of the will and our lives are transformed it's just so i want to give us some ways towards joy towards knowing what is true then coming into our lives in a way we might taste it or feel it towards joy towards crying out to our god abba father uh, the first one of the ways there in my life i found is very helpful and you might find helpful yourself is just to confess your legalism uh, see, you might find yourself in your life not feeling the joy of being a son or a daughter, not knowing how deeply loved you are, uh, because over and over in your life, you just feel guilty. You feel guilty. You're not a good enough employer. You're, you're not a good enough church member. You're not a good enough mom. You're not a good enough dad. You're not leveraging all you have as a single for the work of the gospel in the way you ought to. You're, not, you're just not good enough. So I'd say first, confess your legalism. It's not about you. It's not about how good you are, or what you can stack up, or the ladder you can climb, or, or how many good works you can do. Hey, your guilt is all about you. Oh, you've got a God who loves you so deeply. A Savior who's gone to the cross for you, who's taken your guilt, who's given you His righteousness. You're as pure and blameless and loved as He is. You're a son, you're a daughter. Or confess your legalism, you're just full of judgment. You're not experiencing the joy, or your life is dry because uh, you think you're good enough. You think you're righteous enough. You actually have kept the law. You're, you're being a good Christian. So what you find in your life is you're judging people nonstop, not experiencing the joy and the taste of being a son or daughter. Well, we'll confess your legalism. Another way towards joy as sons or daughters is Looking back into your family script and rewriting it. Look at your relationship with your dad. Look at your relationship with your mom or your sister, one you never lived up to. <laughs> or your dad who, who was so distant. Or, 
Or your mom who coddled you in such a way that you just felt like you were never strong enough to walk life alone. Like, look up to these different relationships. And, and look at the script, the mantra that's in your mind that's running and, and it's telling you you're this kind of son, you're that kind of daughter. And remember who you are in Christ and what He's done. And rewrite that script. That, that takes often a lifetime, by the way. <laughs> Lots of hard work, sometimes some counseling, getting into it. And applying the good news of the gospel deep in. Another one, simply just sit with your father as a son or a daughter. And do we find ourselves at the feet of our father because of what our son has done, what, he's purchased, what the son has done and what he's purchased for us? Sit with him, be with him. What stirs, what cultivates your affections to be with God? You know, I love going on a walk in the woods. And I know sometimes I'll play some music or sometimes I'll just go fishing, right? And in that I'll be praying and thinking on who my God is and how he loves me so deeply and I don't deserve a moment like this. It's so amazing in the fall as the leaves are coming down to say, oh, you're so good to me, I don't deserve any of this. Maybe it's music for you or a good meal. What cultivates your affections as a son or daughter to your father? Sit with him, certainly in the scriptures and certainly in prayer. Specifically, share your sin with God and with others. This is called confession. We did it this morning, but do it over and over again. Look into your life. Let the, let the law judge you in the sense of uh, we see where our sin is clearly. Where's anger or anxiety or gossip or lying or slander or gluttony? Where's that stuff showing itself in your life? Look at it. Just straighten the eyes. Own it. Confess it to God and then confess it to others. When we confess that we share our sins with others, here's what we realize. Oh, I'm actually forgiven. I'm actually loved. My sin is actually paid for. So much so that I can tell you about it. And you'll, ref you'll be refreshed in the good news of the gospel. Last is count your blessings. Uh, maybe spend some time just looking through your life, even today in concentric circles, moving outward and saying, Oh, how my Father has blessed me. In my suffering, how He's carried me. And in my plenty, what He's given the relationships in my life, I count them specifically and look at them and, and thank Him for them and cry out, Abba, Father, you're good. It's a doctrine we can easily say, Oh, I'm a son, I'm a daughter. And we can believe it in our minds, we can know it's positionally true, but sometimes we just don't feel it. I want to give us some time as we go into a time of confession and reflection time for this to sink in. We've left enough time in our service for this purpose. And here's what I want us to do. I, I want us to kneel before our God. You know, I, um, as you're kneeling, um, one of my favorite moments is uh, when I will, I'll kind of climb into bed uh, down on that lower down that lower uh, uh, bunk bed with Leo, and I'll say to him, as I did last night, I'll say, how much does dad love you? And he'll say, a lot. No, no, I'll say, show me, show me, how much does dad love you? And, and he'll go like this, a lot, a lot. And he'll put his arms out. I'll say, no, nah, way more than that. And he'll say, all right, all right, dad loves me a lot. And then I'll say, I'll say, what if you do something really bad? And he'll say, Dad still loves me. And then, I'm like, then I'm like, no, no, really bad. What if when you get older you do something really bad? 
Will dad love you then? Yeah, dad will still love me. And then I'll say, then I'll say, but who loves you more? I'll say, who, who loves you more than dad? And he'll say, God loves me more than dad, or Jesus loves me more than dad, sometimes he'll say. And I'll say, well, how do you know that? And he'll say, because he died for me. Because he died for me. Because his body was broken and his blood was spilled for me. That's how you know how deeply loved you are. That's how you know how deeply secure you are as a son or daughter. That's how you know you can cry out to your father today. In praise, you can cry out to your father in suffering. You can trust and love and cling to your good father. And so close your eyes with me in imagination as we go into this time of prayer together. I want this to sink in for us. Come before your father now. now. Silently talk to him. Ask his Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ he is called, the Spirit of God he is called. Ask the Holy Spirit who dwells in you right now. He's in your mind, he's in your heart. He dwells, Christ dwells in you right now. Ask him to take what you know to be true and impress it deeply on your heart. Spirit, as we think on your son, the father's son right now, God, we, we just ask, God, we ask that your spirit might impress on us in our minds, in our hearts, in our lives the depth of the love that you have for us, God. God, would your spirit do what he does and, and fix our eyes firmly on your son right now as we listen to what he has done for us and the depth of the love that he has for us to make us sons and daughters. Mark chapter 14. And they went to a place called Gethsemane, and he said, Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground, and he prayed that if it were possible that this hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove the cup of your wrath from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. The son cried out, Abba, to his father and asked him, is there another way?
as he's being arrested, the son cries out, you know, I could ask my father and he would send legions of angels to rescue me right now. As he's heading towards crucifixion, the, the son cries out, Father, forgive these people. They do not know what they're doing. As he's hanging on the cross, Jesus, the son, cries out, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me, Jesus Christ? He asked his dad, he asked his father, is there another way? And the father responded, no. And the son hung on the tree that you, that me, anyone who places their faith in him could become a son or daughter. Confess your sins to him. And the story didn't end there for the son. He was resurrected three days later, and his, some of his daughters were clinging to his feet, worshiping him. Jesus said to them, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father to my God and your God. The resurrected Jesus is ascended now, sits at the right hand of His Father, who is now our Father. He's going to His Father, who is now our Father, because of what the Son has done. Oh God, we know how deeply loved we are. We know how absolutely secure we are now and forever. We cry out to you over and over again in our, our praise and joy and in our sorrow. We're so grateful to be your sons and daughters. 